You're listening to a sermon delivered at First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. Well, it's good to see you again, and welcome back to week number two in this year. It's also week number two of our series on evangelism. That probably scared many of you last week. We had some really good sparring last week, didn't we? It got off to a rousing start, if I might say so myself, with a lot of good feedback and kickback. Some were in a lot of agreement, and some had some differences on some minor things. I love this kind of environments we can discuss and debate. Uh, so it was very healthy, two good come-togethers last week, so to speak, uh, the symposium and the service. So if you're just joining us for the first time, this is week number two of our series. We're just going to spend three weeks in this series on evangelism, um, and we're calling it Evangelism for Normal People. That's the boat I'm in. That's the boat you're in, all right? See, sometimes we think that evangelism is only for those who have this incredible gift to go out and street preach or to knock on doors, and they can talk to strangers, and in two minutes, the stranger's bowing down on their knees, repenting, getting saved. There may be folks like that. I'm not one of those, okay? I usually need a lot of time and a lot of relationship, and it typically works that way for me, and I suspect many of you are that way as well. And sometimes we're scared of evangelism because we just don't see it happen quickly, uh, or, or um, regularly, so we just back off from it. My goal is to show you the theological foundation for this word, which we did last week, and then to prompt us towards better, greater, more regular witnessing or evangelism, okay? And not to be scared of that word, all right? And so I think that's happening little by little, and we'll spend this week and next week doing exactly that. I just want to encourage you to stay in the batter's box with me. Would you do that? We may hit a foul ball sometimes. We may even whiff a time or two. You with me? That's okay. Let's not leave the batter's box and go to the dugout. Don't throw the bat down and get mad and walk off and go home, okay? Let's stay in this batter's box. Let's keep swinging at this thing that the Bible calls us to, sharing our faith, evangelism, witnessing. I'd remind you, too, of the website that we're encouraging you to visit that might help you with this. It's mainly one in which you can record some of your gospel conversations and share with people about how that's going. It's called the gcchallenge.com. You can go there, access it as you need to. There's probably some resources there. Uh, There'll be a number of testimonies you can watch of folks, how they've incorporated the gospel into their conversations. So be sure to access access that these next couple of weeks. Last week, we looked at the issue of perspective, a theological groundwork for evangelism. And today, we're going to talk about the matter of frequency. All right? So it's going to kind of take on some real shoe leather today. And so I want to encourage you to stay with me as we kind of walk through one way to simply uh, do evangelism better. We're going to root ourselves again in Acts chapter 17. So make sure your Bibles are open there, would you? Acts 17. Last week we looked at one single verse, verse 16. This week we'll look at one single verse. Guess which one? Verse 17, you guys are so smart, that's exactly right. We'll cover much more of the story next week as we talk about um, the need for margin. But this week, let's just look at one verse, it's verse 17. I'll read both of them to you again, though, as we dive into this topic. My goal is to kind of dissect verse 17, uh, talk about some ways that, um, that we can employ this. I'll ask you to participate in a survey with me. So if you have your phone with you, I'd go ahead and get that out and have it ready. We'll see where all the responses are lining up to kind of make a case for frequency. Uh, And then, of course, we'll end with um, motivation found in Christ for the task ahead. Here's what the Bible would say to us in Acts 16, excuse me, Acts 17, 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. As he saw that the city was full of idols. So Paul experienced an internal irritation. Not with people, by the way, but with the idols that were, in some sense, temporarily robbing God of his deserved worship. This was Paul's theological foundation for his witnessing and evangelism. God isn't worshipped yet by all people in all places. That agitated Paul. So much so that it caused verse 17. Look at the next word, it's so. So here's a word of consequence. Do you see that? So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. That would be probably speaking of maybe God-seeking or God-fearing Gentiles, Greeks, those kinds of people. 
who were with the Jews in the synagogue perhaps. He reasoned with them. And then the implication is that he also reasoned in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So perhaps the synagogue was daily, perhaps it was weekly. The sense is, though, he made his way to those who were in the religious crowd, reasoned with them, and then also made his way to those who weren't in the religious crowd. They were in the the marketplace crowd, the mall. The word there is agora. It's simply an open-air kind of farmer's market. They'd be selling stuff, buying stuff, conversing. This is where folks would share ideas and try to win folks to their side. Kind of a commercial place. The Bible says here, Paul was there every day with those who happened to be there. This is a great verse because it shows us something about Paul's use of frequency in his style of evangelism. Notice it says, first of all, he reasoned in the synagogue. This is a word that shows his ongoing dialogue. In fact, the word reason here is actually the word from where we get our word dialogue. Do you know that? You could easily and literally say Paul dialogued or you could say conversed. He had conversations in the synagogue with Jews and devout persons. God-fearing Gentiles, God-seeking Gentiles. Then it says, in the marketplace every day. So he had this verbal kind of frequency. He's reasoning, conversing back and forth with people. But he did this every day in the marketplace with those who happened to be there. So he had conversation as well in places that God would just bring people into his path. Now I say it to you that way because I want you to notice the word in this text. It says, in the marketplace he was there every day. That's kind of a visual frequency, isn't it? In the synagogue, it was verbal frequency. I'm going to converse and dialogue with you, but I'm going to go to the marketplace every day. I'm just going to show up there for those who happen to be there. That's actually one word in the original language. And I love this word because it's a combination of two words. The word by or with or alongside of. And then the word, watch this now, the word that that sometimes can mean like chance or maybe. Now, we know that with God, there are no chances, correct? There are no accidents. There's no coincidences. No one here this morning is accidentally here and you caught God by surprise, all right? But the writer here uses this word to indicate something to us, that Paul would intentionally go to the marketplace every day to see who God would bring across his path. And to them, it seems like, oh, I just happened to be here and run into you. What do you know, Paul? But it really wasn't happenstance or chance, was it? But I think it's neat how he uses that word described to us, Paul's frequency, both in the synagogue And in the marketplace, he was always showing up and he was always speaking up. Paul employed frequency as one of the ways he uh, shared the gospel a lot. This is the point of verse 17, the issue of frequency, the matter of frequency. And we see two types, just to review again for you briefly. We see visual frequency every day in the marketplace and we see verbal frequency He reasoned, he conversed regularly with those in both those places. Now, let me push pause for a minute and explain to you about what he reasoned. This is very important. I'll push pause maybe two or three times today to kind of address issues on the side. Here's the first one. What did Paul reason about? I do this for the sake of those who are here this morning who may not know where you stand with God. Or perhaps those who aren't sure, you know, what is it I talk about? Paul reasoned about, as you'll see as the chapter unfolds, Paul reasoned about how Christ had died and was buried and had been raised from the dead. And the one that they knew as Jesus was actually the Christ. So that's what he was reasoning about. We would call that, in six letters, the G-O-S-P-E-L. Say it with me. It's actually the good news of Jesus Christ. That he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and forgiveness can be found in his name. That's how we're made right with God. That's what Paul reasoned about. So, here's my point in in that pause. Listen very carefully. Perhaps you think you've stumbled in here today. Perhaps you think, I accidentally went to church. Now, I know you didn't accidentally, but perhaps you're like, I just got up and I thought, man, I need to go to church. And I saw that warehouse down the street. I'll just go there. In some way, you're thinking you just kind of stumbled here. But you know what? You really didn't. You're here by design, on purpose, so that you could converse, and in this case, much of a one-way conversation so far, (laughs) you could hear and converse about what matters most, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was a real person in the flesh, but he was really God, never sinned, was perfect, and as such, 
he is able then to die for us and take our sins upon himself. That's so much better than you taking your sins upon yourself. Because if you take your sins upon yourself, then it's hell eternally. That's how we'll pay for our sins. But because Christ was God, he paid the wrath that God had against sin in his own body by sacrificing himself on the cross. Because he was perfect, he took our sin, became the sacrifice for it. God saw that, declared sin covered, paid for, for all who would believe. That's the news I really want to share with you today. We're going to talk more about how to witness. We'll cover our series, yes. But I just thought it was important to take a pause and share with you. What did Paul reason about? He reasoned about what really matters most. How people can have their sins forgiven and be right with God. And it's through a person named Jesus Christ. It's not through what Cynthia was talking about and her own efforts and her work trying to be good. God brought her to the place where she realized it's all about what Jesus has already done for me. And God may be doing that this morning in this room. He may be bringing some of you to the, to the end of yourself. To high levels of frustration with your own efforts. So that you would finally see, wow, it's not about anything I've done. It's about everything that Christ has done for me. If that's you this morning, I would ask you to listen carefully. Consider the facts and to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what he was reasoning with him about. He did that by showing up every day and by speaking up. So let's, let's make a couple of observations. Frequency is showing up and speaking up. And that's one of the ways we evangelize. Now, here's what you should be asking. Well, Todd, is that just one instance in the Bible where Paul did that? It's kind of a special case. And so now you're going to say that we should do this all the time. You're going to pull one, one isolated incident and kind of lay it on us and make us all feel like guilty and convicted. Are you doing that, Todd? That's a good question. I asked myself that in the last few weeks. What does this mean for us? What kind of textual groundwork and framework does this give in our series on evangelism? Should we guilt people with this? Or is it truly a one-off kind of thing and we just need to say, hey, Paul did it, but it's not required of us? That's a good question, right? You should be nodding like this. Like, That's a really good question, Yeah. So I went back and I asked myself, did Paul employ frequency throughout his ministry in his life? And did he expect frequency from the churches that he planted? Kind of like a little research paper here, right? So here's the answer to the first question in this screen right here. Here's a number of verses. This would be a sampling of verses from Paul's ministry, his, we would call it his missionary journeys, in which he, in different places employed frequency in his efforts at evangelism and witnessing. Notice here, I'll just kind of run through this quickly with you. Beginning in Iconium in Acts 14, the Bible says he was there for a long time. In Philippi, he was there for some days. In Thessalonica, he was there for three weeks. In Corinth, every Sabbath, plus a year and six months. In Corinth, he was there many days. In Ephesus, which by the way, he was there a total of about three years, but we were, it's listed as three months in the synagogue specifically. And then daily he would reason in the hall of Tyrannus. This is a sampling of Paul's ministry pattern. Watch this. Go into a place, establish some credibility, and frequent those places a lot in order to have verbal conversations about the Lord. You see, we have this impression just through the New Testament writings, and I think it's because we don't know a lot about Paul's uh, ministry. We have this impression he was kind of a quick-strike dude. Man, I'm going to a city, bam, with the gospel, you all should feel really convicted, get saved, I'm out of here. Like Paul's kind of this, you know, uh, a lightning bolt kind of guy. When in actuality, if you just read what's written, you, you actually would find what I think is true, that Paul actually was somewhat of a relational person and stayed in places some length of time in order to build credibility and to establish frequency. Paul really wasn't as quick strike as we think. We just have these things listed quickly because the point of the passage is not Paul's journeys. It's the gospel. And so we kind of derive maybe some misconceptions from this. The truth is, I think Paul had many friends, developed good relationships as he frequented the same places in many of the same cities. In fact, 
Paul's missionary journeys were usually back to the same places and the same churches. Did you know that? He would just kind of backtrack often. So I think frequency is something Paul modeled. Now the question then becomes, well, if Paul lived that way, if he was one who would frequent the same places, the same relationships, go back every day to certain places when he's in that city, the marketplace, the synagogue, is that what he expects us to do? Is that what he asked those churches to do? Good question. Glad you're thinking with me. Next slide. Can we go there? Here's the letters to those churches in those cities. Watch how Paul talks about the role of the believers in those churches in those cities, okay? Ephesians. He was there three years, remember? He reasoned daily in the hall of Tyrannus at some point. He, was, he mentioned there that the church had been given evangelists to equip the body of Christ. He told Timothy later, you skip down to the third from the last, who was the pastor in Ephesus later. He told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Now, I want to push Paul here for the second time. What in the world does that mean, Todd, that he said that God had given evangelists to the church and he told Timothy to do the work of one? I think we have a misconception about what an evangelist is in our church and in churches in general. Most of us think, oh yeah, God's given us evangelists so that they can go out there on the streets and the highways and the hedges and the strangers' houses and they can do what I'm scared to death to do. Yeah, let him go out there and yell and preach and scream. He can bring him here and then we can all have a nice holy huddle and coffee and, and, and disciple people. Actually, that's not what an evangelist should do. Now, as a Christian... An evangelist should witness just like you should and I should, right? But I think if you study scripture, an evangelist, which by the way, Philip was one in the first church. An evangelist equips the church to do evangelism. Now he models that by his life, which we see Philip doing in Acts 8. But his ultimate, and I say fundamental role, is to make sure the church is not forgetting about folks who are yet to be in the church. Are you tracking with me? So when Paul said to Timothy... God's given the church evangelists to equip. He was assuming and expecting that there would be this sense in the church that, hey, it's not just about us. It's about those who aren't here yet. Let's have an outreach-focused attitude. Let's think about those who are yet to be believers. When he told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, he was saying this, Timothy, don't let your church slip or slide into just comfort Christianity where it's us four and no more. It's the frozen four. There are people who have yet to believe who should hear the gospel. Timothy, so equip them to share their faith. That's what's going on here. So the assumption, the reality in Paul's writings in Ephesus was this. Guys, make connections. Be frequent. Have regularity in your, in your conversations and relationships because people need the Lord. And it's our job to, to share him with them. Also, Colossians. Look at these two verses. He says that we're to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So, so there's a sense in that verse that Paul's saying there's this regular pattern of living. The word walk there means behavior, conduct. And Paul's assuming that people who don't know Christ are looking in. Do you catch that? So he says, man, you've got to walk in a way that would say to them, I belong to Christ. He's assuming we're in front of lost people on a regular basis. So be walking in wisdom. He also says, let your speech be the kind that you can give an answer to every man. So here, here's the assumption that you're actually having conversations with people who need an answer. So Paul's assuming that we're in regular visual and verbal contact with those who are considered outsiders. He says in Philippians, this church in Philippi, no complaining or grumbling. But if you read the verse to its fullest extent, it ends by saying this, so that you may shine as lights in the world. Paul's assumption is that people are watching that we're in contact, we're rubbing shoulders with those who are kind of watching how we speak and react. And when we have a no complaining and no grumbling you know, uh, spirit about us, those who are outsiders, those who are in the world, they see that as a really bright light. Paul's assuming they're watching, that we're in contact with them. In 1 Thessalonians, he says that he wanted them to walk properly before outsiders. What comes before this phrase are phrases like this. Listen, this is right where you and I live. He says, do your work quietly. Mind your own business. And you may think, well, Todd, that means we shouldn't evangelize. No, 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 no. Those phrases simply mean this. Do your job well. Don't be a busybody. And, and stay focused on, on what, your, what your task is. Earn a living. Pay your bills. Be the right kind of citizen because that's what people will look at. 
when they're finding out, can I trust that person? Are they credible? The assumption again, the mandate, the written clarity is this. We're rubbing shoulders with the folks who are watching us. We're talking with folks who aren't believers yet. Paul, is, it's just so clear to me. In all of his letters to these churches that he was frequenting, he expected them to, to be frequent with those who weren't yet saved. And the last two, I want to push Paul for the third time here and explain to you these two verses in which Paul said, we persuade others and we implore you. What's he basing this on? This third pause, uh, pause, this third pause involves the concept of what I call ambassadorship. In this chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 and 20, Paul speaks of our role as an ambassador, and he says, we should implore with people to be reconciled to God. In fact, he says that uh, we should be persuading others. So what gives us the right? Why can we just go to strangers, in one sense? Why do we initiate conversations, and why do we develop friendships in order to say, hey, be reconciled to God. We implore you, uh, you know, trust Christ. Why do we do that? Because we are, watch this, ambassadors. Which means we are from another country. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you sure are sometimes. We're from another country living in a foreign land and we're speaking and doing what the king says. We don't set the agenda. And this needs to settle on you a little bit. It needs to rattle your cage a tad. Most of us, it, it seems at least, that we struggle living as an ambassador. We want to live as the king with Jesus as the consultant. But the truth is, we are here for his business. We're only here for a limited time. This is not our home. We're citizens of heaven, Paul said in, in Ephesians. And so while we're here, the church is like the embassy. We get our training, we get our equipping, we get our fellowship, our protection, our safety here, yes. But then we're also representing the king to those who aren't part of the other land yet. That's an ambassador's job. So when I show up among those who are part of this current world system, and I speak up, guess whose agenda I represent? Not my own, I represent the king of heaven. So that determines and filters and affects what I say and how I act. And that's not hard to grasp if you just realize I'm an ambassador. I don't make the call. God is king. He's made the call. He's put me here. He sovereignly placed me in the exact place I'm at. He has set boundaries, determined locations. That's what Acts 17 says. So God, while I'm here as an ambassador, I'm all into your agenda. And you know what that agenda is? To frequently rub shoulders, have conversations with those who are yet in the king, who are yet to be in the kingdom of God. It was modeled in Paul's life, Acts 17. It was really mandated in his writings. So I would say to you that the large body of scripture that comes out of this one single verse, Acts 17, 17, is one example of that. The large body of scripture shows me something. Paul modeled frequency, he um, urged frequency. He even assumed frequency. I'll show it to you on the slide. You can kind of have it for you and see it really clearly. This is what Paul really kind of shot for. This is what he aimed for. Here's why. Because he knew evangelism was a matter, say it with me, of showing up and speaking up. Now I want to address something here that perhaps you're, you're thinking, and I know I was thinking about as well. Todd, if it's a matter of frequency, if that's how we kind of move along in our evangelism, we show up a lot, we speak up a lot, uh, how does that work, you know, when, when I meet people? Like, I, I meet some who are strangers, I meet some who are friends. Like, how do I know what to do in that case? I just want to kind of show you something that's helped me a lot. God has put people in your life on what I would call a continuum of relationship, okay? I'll show it to you kind of like a timeline. On one end, you have strangers. And there are those who are good at what I've heard described as stranger evangelism. There are others who cannot imagine speaking to a stranger in 10 minutes about the gospel. It would freak them out, right? They have to have somewhat of a, of a friendship started. Thus, you have 
friendship evangelism. Now, last week, I may not have been as clear as I wished I would have been. Some of you may have thought I was against completely stranger evangelism. I'm not. I would maintain my position that I think it's less effective in the long run, but I think it has its place. I mentioned the symposium. It's like family vacations. I think they have their place, but I don't go on them every week. Rats, right? (laughs) On this continuum... You have strangers and you have friends. The question we have to ask is this. At what point will I have a gospel conversation? Say it like this. At what point will I show up and speak up? Some of you will put an X closer to the stranger side. You're like, man, I can meet someone maybe in an hour. I can probably just have enough, you know, fortitude to kind of lead the conversation. I can ask a question and I can get into a spiritual conversation. That's, that's good. Great for you. Some of you are like, Todd, I'll need weeks and months to kind of, you know, invest some chips. And, you know, I just can't do that that quickly. Good for you. Here's what we can't do. We can't not speak about Christ. We can't say, hey, I'm taking all the X's off the board. I'm not talking. We don't have that option. And I think the large body of evidence from Paul's model and the large body of evidence from Paul's writings inspired by the Holy Spirit would show us, you know what? Yeah, that's true. At some point, evangelism means we show up and we speak up. My contention, I wouldn't say my contention, my proposal, my aim this morning is to say this to you, that frequency is how we stay on this continuum and move towards that very conversation. As God brings someone into your life, they think they just happen to be there, right? You know they're, by, they're there by design, by design, divine intervention. Then you start thinking, when can I have a talk about what matters most? And so frequency enables this to happen. The courage to revisit places and topics, showing up and speaking up for the purpose of something far more important than perhaps what you're eating or where you're going. That's the idea of frequency. On this continuum, as you are frequenting the same relationships and the same places, what I've discovered is then evangelism happens, which I defined as a natural conversation about supernatural conversion. Now, the definition assumes a lost person, okay? So if you're thinking, well, Todd, I can, I can do that with my, with my spouse who's born again. Okay, technically you're right, but back off a bit. The assumption is a lost person, okay? But assuming a lost person is in the mix, guess what? If you'll stay on this continuum through frequency, you at some point will have a natural conversation about supernatural conversion because you've been frequenting that person or that place enough to have conversations about what matters most. This is one of the ways for me that evangelism has kind of become intentional and yet it fits my normal lifestyle. I just become a frequenter of places and people for the purpose of sowing as much seed as possible. So this leads us to principle number two. Remember number one last week was see first, share second, right? We laid a theological foundation for it. Principle, Acts 17, 16. See first, share second. Here's principle number two now from Acts 17, 17. It's an ongoing conversation, not just a one-time presentation. You catching that? Key word there is probably going to be the word just. I don't want to make any more enemies here. I'm not anti-one-time presenters. There are moments, strangers cross our path, God opens the door, and we have to have the courage to step across the line and just give the gospel, amen. But by and large, over the course of your life, those will be less in number, and I think typically less effective, than establishing some kind of relationship and having an ongoing conversation by frequenting the places they're at or that relationship or location in order to build relationship and share the gospel. So it's an ongoing conversation, not just a one-time presentation. 
Let me show you that understanding that is not as difficult. It's not as difficult to put this into your life as you may think. Because you're hearing this, you're like, okay, I've made a strong case for frequency. Biblically, practically, you're like, okay, I get that, but Todd, I mean, is that a, is that a change that I can even make? Is that a hurdle too high for me to jump? I think most of you have frequency built in in lots of ways. You're not even aware of it, perhaps. Let me show you what I mean. I asked you three questions beginning yesterday morning. So if you have your phone, this is the time to use that. Some of you have already answered. That's great. You can answer right now. This will go through noon. But I want you to see how much frequency is already a part of your life. All I'm asking you to do is utilize that in a better way, perhaps. Here's the first question we asked on our survey. During the course of a week, it wouldn't be surprising for me to eat at the same restaurant more than once, whether drive-through or eat-in. Now, I admit to you, that question's not worded well. Because the real answer you want to give is no. It wouldn't be surprising. Meaning, I go to the same place more than once. But a lot of folks I heard checked yes, thinking, yes, I go to the same place more than once. But the question was, it wouldn't be surprising. I don't know why I worded that way. That was dumb. Forgive me. I should have just said I go to the same place more than once, right? But look at, this, uh, look at these uh, metrics. About 60% of the respondents actually visit the same restaurant more than once in the course of a week. Okay, that's some frequency, isn't it? Question two dealt with how we exercise, or I should say where we exercise. During the course of a week, it's routine for me to exercise at the same place more than once, and you can see the options there. So we got about a 50-50 split here. It's 52-48, but these metrics show us that about half of the respondents actually go to the same place to exercise. Now, I also learned this, that I think we are more interested in eating than we are exercising, and that's okay too, I guess, right? Uh, I know that's my case for sure, right? <laughs> Here's what I'm discovering. Many of you go to the same restaurant more than once in the course of a week, and about half of you go to the same place to exercise over and over. Do, do you see how there's frequency in that already? You're already visiting people that you see more than once, the same place. Here's third question. During the course of a week and excluding work, and I took that out because that's a given, even though that's one of the best places to establish frequency in conversation. Don't get me wrong. But let's just take that out of the survey right now. I usually frequent X amount of places more than once. And we had several options here and as ideas, samples. Notice that about 64% of the respondents say, I go one or two places more than once in a week. 28% say three or four and just went up some. So let's just take the, the top two there. 66 and 27 is 86 and 7 is what, 90. Three? Okay. 93% of the respondents say this, that I go to the same place between one and four times a week. That's a lot. That's a high percentage of people going to the same place. You add to that, of course, the ones who go to the same place five or six times. I just wanted you to see, I'm not trying to prove a point or trying to put you in a corner. I'm not doing that at all. I'm trying to show you something. But just in your natural answers, guess what? You actually are frequenting places. You have some frequency in your life already. In your eating, in your exercise, in your banking. Um, I about said in your gas. I won't say that. Um, in how you handle your car. <laughs> okay. In, in different habits. You're going to the same place on a regular basis. Here's what I'm saying to you. So as you do that, just be willing now, since you're showing up, to ask, where can I speak up? Where can I begin to have co gospel conversations with people that already see me on a regular basis? You see, I, I tend to think what we do is we kind of uh, get into a habit of frequenting places, and because we're busy and we don't have a lot of margin, I'll address that next week, we don't have much margin, we just don't talk to people. And I think this is one of the areas that we need to improve on. I think we can, we've got the frequency built in already. The problem is the verbal frequency needs to be raised and elevated. We need to start looking for opportunities in which we can cross the pain line and reason with people. Dialogue with them. 
converse with them. About what? About really what matters most. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Is that, that's how I'm forgiven of my sins? That does take time. On that continuum, you're gonna need to probably be up towards the, the friend level. I'm just asking you to be willing to put an X on the line at some point. Open your mouth and start the conversation. What I've discovered is typically those conversations, they go for a period of time. I, I, I never get one in the first time. Did you know that? I'll just be real frank with you and transparent and vulnerable. Mine are always needing two or three or four opportunities. Sometimes they end up at our house. Sometimes it's just maybe they'll take their lunch break and we'll send out a lunch break. There's a number of ways. But I'm never able to give the, you know, like the whole thing at one spill because I'm asking about them. We're just kind of conversing. But if I go back, if I repeat, if I'm frequenting that person in that place, over time, we finally get to talk about really what matters most. Do they know Jesus? Because I'm convinced somebody near me needs Jesus. Do you know that? And I'm convinced somebody near you needs Jesus. And one of the best ways that normal people can be intentional in evangelism is by agreeing and committing to simply showing up and speaking up, adopting the principle of frequency. Are you tracking so far with me? Is it making sense a little bit? Can I provide you with a couple of tips for this, each one, and then we'll be done? Because I think we can all agree we've got frequency built in. We see it in the Bible. But how do I take that leap to where I'm I'm kind of living some of this out? A couple of suggestions for you, maybe some action points, uh, Todd's tips, whatever you want to call it. Regarding verbal frequency, here's what I'd say to you. First of all, listen for pain or passion points in every conversation. And my recommendation is this. When the pain or passion point comes up in the talk, that's probably a signal that you can step across the pain line without a lot of hostility back. You may not get a ton of hunger. You don't know yet. Remember, we don't know what the response is on this side of the pain line. But when when God opens the door and someone shares something that's really important to them on either end of the spectrum, something really hurtful or something that really just gets them jazzed, those are really good opportunities where the door is usually wide open I would say the shores are very close and so the bridge is not to be very long to step over the pain line and ask another open-ended question. For instance, someone shares about a pain in their past. You may say, I didn't know that. Can you tell me more? What happened? It's not a yes or no deal. They're going to tell you more. And more than likely, in everyone's pain, you'll have a good opportunity to share the truth about how all of us are rescued from our brokenness. Because you know what? You've got pain too. You've got situations at times where it just didn't go like you thought. And it hurt deeply, didn't it? Now, you don't want to hijack the conversation and say, man, I got hurt too. Listen to me for a while. No, have a ping pong match. This is just good conversation skills. You teach your kids. When someone hits you the ping pong ball, then you maybe say a word or two, but then you send it back with a question. <laughs> hint, hint. And their goal is to kind of talk and then send it back with a question. That's your goal. So ask open-ended questions especially in the moments when they're sharing about their pain or passion. This is what moves people from being strangers to friends, by the way. So how is the, 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 the line move on the continuum? It's through these kinds of conversations. And in these kind of conversations where you find the doorway often to begin to share about the gospel, how our pain is dealt with, and so forth like that, okay? Just a couple of tips. Listen for pain or passion points, and then ask open-ended questions. On number two, by the way, i just say this to you. Um, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of questioning evangelism. In fact, I've come to believe personally that questions are probably the best tactic for moving a conversation forward. So just learn how to ask good questions. Be honestly curious about them. Uh, be inquisitive about things they're involved with. You'll find that your conversations will deepen and get better. People will move from strangers to acquaintances to, you know, to maybe outer circle friends. This will happen. But you've got to learn how to ask good questions and you've got to see them often. So frequency is important. And it comes to the verbal aspect at least. Here's some tips for visual frequency. Get visible. <laughs> Say, Todd, that's not a repetitious. You told me to 
Here's some tips on getting visible. You said to get visible. Well, here's why. A lot of people in our culture, because of their lack of margin in their life, and because they are so extremely busy, and because in most families the kids run the show, and so they're running them to a thousand different engagements and clubs and social events, trying to make sure that they have the image of a good parent. I had a bunch of, of, of things there, didn't I? Whew, man, it just touched a lot of nerves probably, didn't I? Because that's going on, when we have some downtime, we do this. Man, I want to hole up in my basement. I'm done with people. We have this Montana attitude. Either out of being tired from being busy or we don't like the culture. We hate what it's, the way it's going. So you know what? I'm not getting involved in that. I feel so contaminated. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I get that a little bit. But sometimes we can hole up so much. We can crawl inside our basement so much that, that we forget why we're here. And I just want to say to some of you with all the pastoral compassion I can muster right now, get out a little bit. Go hang out with someone who doesn't know the Lord. It would do you a world of good to kind of get a sense for what some people are dealing with. In fact, can I just go ahead and tread on this thin ice while I'm on it? If you don't know any lost people, I mean, if you can't think of one single lost person by name, that's on you. That's nobody's fault. That's not the church's deal. That's not your spouse's deal. That's not your kid's schedule. That's on you. You've holed up too much. You've kind of montana yourself and put your head down like, you know what? I just want to ask you to just get a little more visible. You are in the world, but you're not of it. But guess what? You are in it, <laughs> like it or not. There's a reason you're in it, to shine as a light for the real place you're a citizen of. So that kind of visibility will breed credibility. When you live out your faith in a place, in a situation, and they see you living principally, focusedly, it will breed credibility. We say this a lot. Visibility is credibility. So show up. And then we say this lastly. When you're showing up, then keep showing up. Be repeatable. Because routine is dependability. I've had several times where I didn't initiate the conversation because I kept showing up at a certain time on a regular basis. They'd say, man, you're back again? Boom, open door, let's have a talk. And so we just kind of start the conversation. So go to the same place to eat for weeks at a time. I mean, our family does this. We're, we're, we're kind of like trend, like seasoned people. We just kind of go to Five Guys for a while, till that ground, Try to see what the soil is like. If we're not getting anywhere, we'll go somewhere else. So Chipotle became it for a while. We go there two times a week, you know, and we may try somewhere else. And it's just kind of where we are. We just want to kind of go to the same place over and over. Now, we're not the perfect model. I'm just saying to you, when you show up at the same time or at the same place, people will start asking questions. And sometimes that's a good way to begin to have a conversation and make an acquaintance, Okay. So be repeatable because routine is dependability. And never underestimate the power of routine. Routine is a great tool uh, on the tool belt of evangelism. People ask questions. They get curious. This is true in the gym. Go to the same place. At some point, hey, I keep seeing you here every day. You've been here every day this week. You can begin to talk about them. Now, I admit to you, in some places, you're not willing to have a conversation because you're not really there for that reason. I kind of get that with you. We kind of want to just have our own space. You know, the gym's one of those, right? You go there not to really talk to people, but to kind of like, you know, get your job done, get your work done. You want to go back home. I ran into one of our members a few weeks ago. It was his first time. I didn't know that, but I thought it was him, and I wasn't sure. And I thought, do I speak? Do I not? And I think he saw me, and he wasn't sure. And, you know, you look different when you're sweaty than when you're in church. Can we just say that, right? And I wasn't sure if he recognized. I didn't know, so I didn't say anything. He didn't either. So Sunday I said to him this a few weeks ago, Hey, did I see you at Trail Point? He goes, yeah. And I said, man, I'm sorry that I didn't speak. He said, no, listen, sometimes in those environments, you just kind of want a little space. And he's right. You don't want to be sitting around having, you know, 15, 20 conversations while you're trying to get your work done, right? But by the same token, we've got to be willing to, to have our schedules and routines kind of interrupted. I'll say more next week about this. Interrupted for something far greater than just trying to stay somewhat fit. Are you with me? 
I mean, the real goal isn't, hey, back off, my fitness matters. No, your fitness doesn't matter as much as their eternal destiny. I can just tell you that, amen? So I kind of get what you're saying. I'm like you, we're just kind of normal. But the same token, when God does interrupt us in places, let's have the courage and the humility to say, hey, something bigger is happening here. That's what can occur when we're repeating, when we're frequent. So this morning, I've just tried to aim at one thing. I've tried to aim at this simple goal. Did Paul employ frequency in living out his own spiritual agitation in trying to see that God was worshipped in every place by all people? Did he say, I'm going to keep going back to the marketplace, the synagogue? He did. And it wasn't just a one-off thing. It was a regular pattern for Paul. And I think he asked this of the believers in the churches he planted. So I'm asking us, centuries later, could we just adopt frequency which you have, by the way, I think we saw, we saw that, but could we adopt it for reasons that are greater than us? The glory of God and the condition of man. I think that's your heart. That's what you want. So this week, would you begin to look for places that you're visiting regularly? And since you're already showing up, will you ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom about how to speak up? Now, I don't always do this well. And I've shared a ton of my own failures with you over the last 13 years. You know that. But this week, I want to give the Lord glory. He gave me an open door, and I think I took a good step this week. And I heard this from some Joshua sharing something this week, this morning with me too, about how he did this as well. And I was so proud of him and his family as they were interacting in some of the same way. And I heard from one of our members about how she was at the prison visiting someone and the Lord opened the door for another chance for her. And so this is happening among us. We're, we're seeing situations and we're taking steps forward. And this past week I had an opportunity and, and I got scared. I got fearful. But I, I crossed the pain line. And I'm just admitting to you, it's hard for me sometimes. It's easier to preach to you than to witness to one lost person. Did you know that? So I usually go to Trail Point in the morning. Uh, I like early mornings. And sometimes Julie goes with me early. Sometimes she'll go a little later. But on this, this past week, we had some different schedules. And so we went in the afternoon one day. I forget what day it was, but we went about 4.30. And that place is just jacked up at 4.30, okay? I mean, it was so crowded. I see a lot of you there throughout the week. But I've never seen this many people there. So I say to Julie, man, we got to come in the afternoon. She goes, not me, dude, you know? <laughs> And, I mean, she loves lost people like I do, but we're just different, okay? You get that, don't you? We're just different. She's like, oh, this is a lot of people. I'm like, yeah, where's the biggest crowd, you know? And, and we're just kind of laughing. And that's a good give and take, yin-yang kind of thing. And it makes for a good marriage, I can tell you that's for sure. And so we, we're just kind of doing our thing. Some of it's together walking, and some of it's maybe with the waves. We're just kind of doing our thing. And she sees some of you there, I do. And on our way in that day to Trail Point, you know, you go through DMAC, and on the left, as you make the main entrance there off of Ankeny Boulevard, there's a bunch of fields that they've not done anything with yet. Well, that's where um, I used to assistant coach with one of Brooks' soccer teams. And so as we made that turn, I said to Julie, man, there's some good memories there, aren't there? Thinking about all those years of coaching her team with this other guy who was the main coach, and just all those years of parking there on Tuesday, Thursdays, unloading the equipment, you know. and You, you have those days, right? And she said to me, yeah, that was a few wrinkles ago, you know, kind of laughing. <laughs> I said, yeah, that was a few good memories ago. We're just kind of chatting. And we mentioned the, the coach's name. I've known him for years. So we go to Trail Point. We get out, check in. We start our thing. And I'm kind of got my head down, just kind of focused on a couple things. And I look up, and there's, there he is right in front of me. He's there that day. I'm like, oh. And he says, man, you're pretty focused. You weren't even saying hi. And I was like, oh, I hadn't seen you guys in years probably. And then I wasn't really ready to talk, to be frank with you. I'm like, oh, yeah. And he says, well, I can tell you're focused. I'll talk to you later. And so I'm like, oh. And so I thought, that's crazy that we talked about him on the way in, and then he's here. And, and the Holy Spirit said, yeah, you should talk to him again. I'm like, yeah, I probably should, but I got a lot to do here. I need to run some. And, and I'm just starting to feel convicted, like, yeah, I probably should talk to him. But, man, I don't, I don't want to do that. I got nervous, Okay. So I start jogging, and he was walking, and so I just passed him every few laps, you know, and I'd kind of wave, you know. And I'm feeling the whole time, I need to say something else to him. I need to maybe keep this going. And so the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, you should. You should thank him for just spending time with your kids, you know, mainly Brooke. Just investing so much time and in helping you as the assistant coach, just 
he, was, he did a good job. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I get through jogging, and he kind of gets through, and we're kind of in that main area. I'm like, oh, this is the time to do that, but I, I don't know how to start, what to say. Do I just walk up to me? I'm having all these thoughts. You ever had those? Not, please. Make me feel better. Work with me, church, right? I'm like, how do I start this? Can I just go to the church and preach at the people, right? So I, I go to him and say, hey, I said, uh, hey, I just... I hadn't seen you in a while. I just wanted to tell you something. He goes, oh, yeah, we chatted. I said, listen, uh, thanks for uh, just years of letting me kind of coach with you, and you were good with our, our kids. You were a good coach. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. You're welcome, he said. And I said, in fact, did you know that uh, when we drove in here today, uh, Julie and I mentioned your name because we looked at the fields over there, and we thought about all those memories, and then I said, and I think it's just like the Lord to kind of cross our paths and make me think of you, and then you're here. And I said, I just think that's kind of coincidental. I don't believe that theologically, are you okay? But it made sense to talk about that in that environment. I said, so I just, I just think it's neat that you're here. I just want to make sure I told you, I appreciate you and the time you gave, and I'm glad the Lord gave me an opportunity to say thanks to you. That's all I said. I didn't have an invitation. I didn't have a moment of repentance, asking him to take a knee and, you know, worship the king. I didn't do any of that, okay? I'm not saying you shouldn't have, but that wasn't the... That wasn't the play right there. It was simply an opportunity to just sow some seed and give some indication about what I believed, what I was thankful for, and to have an ongoing conversation. To which, by the way, he gave me a new nickname as we left. He said, oh, yeah, he said, I, I, we had fun in those years, he said, and seeing you here tonight and those years, I said, man, we agree, we're going to call you Robo-Priest. So my new name now is Robo-Priest, in case you're wondering. So we laughed about that, and I said, well, I'm no Robo-Priest, and I said, I'm, I'm not even a priest. He said, oh, well, you're something like that, you know, and we laughed, and so we just had a good talk, and that was it. That's all I did, but it was a step. Are you with me? And I think even more than just maybe getting the Lord's name in front of that situation, um, at least once this week, I crossed the pain line. That's not to brag. It's just to say, I, I, I wrote this book with you guys. I battle it. It's hard, isn't it? I think that situation was fueled in one way by frequency. Just go to the same place, you see the same people, and at some point you can have a really good conversation. And if you keep having enough of those, God will just lead those to where it will be about something that matters a lot more than soccer or running or jogging or banking or food, but about the gospel. Could we commit to having that kind of frequency that Paul modeled and mandated for what matters most? I trust this week we'll use every opportunity wisely for his glory. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons. Thanks for listening.